This podcast is brought to you by the Colorado Fertility Conference. If you are new to infertility or if you've been in the world of infertility for some time, you know how difficult it can be to find the answers you seek. You must check out our podcast episodes. We strive to bring you the best fertility practitioners talking to you about everything from hormones to meditations to IVF to finances for fertility treatments. Also, on our website, coloradofertilityconference.com, you can watch the 2019 presentations. Our mission is to bring you the best fertility resources in Colorado and beyond so you can significantly shorten your journey to parenthood. The 2021 Colorado Fertility Conference will be held on March 6, 2021, virtually online. Go to coloradofertilityconference.com to sign up so you get notified of all important details. And remember to subscribe to this podcast so you can listen to new episodes as soon as they're released. This episode is sponsored by Prove Fertility. Problems with ovulation can make it difficult to conceive. Prove is here to help with the first and only FDA-cleared test to confirm successful ovulation at home. Prove works by tracking PDG, a progesterone metabolite, days 7 to 10 after peak fertility. A successful fertility journey begins with successful ovulation. And with Prove, you can confirm successful ovulation or identify a potential issue and take the next steps to fix, all from the comfort of your own home. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Colorado Fertility Conference. I'm your host, September Burton, and today I am interviewing Brett Russo. Brett is the author of a book you're going to want to read. It's called The Underwear in My Shoe. So a little bit about Brett. She was born and raised in New Jersey. She graduated with a degree in business management from Bucknell University, where she also met her future husband. After graduation, Brett found her passion working beside her twin brother and father for her family's printing company, of which she is now the chief executive officer. She married her husband in 2015, and together they fought the hardest battle of their lives with their journey through IVF. Brett lives in New Jersey with her husband and their one-year-old son, who enjoys meatloaf and responding with, nah, every time his mom asks for a kiss. I want to read you an excerpt from her book so that you kind of get an idea of her writing style and her personality. In this excerpt, she's talking about Clomid. So she says, Clomid, what kind of fucked up human being invented Clomid? Seriously, it had to be a lab test gone wrong. Did lab rats start crying uncontrollably and stabbing each other all at the same time and some mad scientist thought, hmm, maybe I can give this to women at their most vulnerable time and watch them self-implode. For those of you who aren't familiar with the drug, Clomid is a hormone pill that you take for five days after your period ends. It prompts your brain to tell your ovaries to drop multiple eggs in a cycle instead of one. The problem is it makes you batshit crazy at the same time. This is probably why a casual walk into the shore house filled with family on Easter weekend became like a scene out of The Exorcist. I consider myself a fairly rational person, but man, once you get a few of those beauties in you, you never know what will happen. So this interview with Brett actually begins a little bit abruptly because there was a technology issue going on at the very beginning, but I decided not to redo it and to leave it as is because she starts this interview talking about how it's not your fault and there's nothing to be ashamed of. And that's exactly how she ends the interview as well. And so she and I together really are trying in this interview to break the stigma of silence, to break the, the shame and to show you that this is not your fault, that you haven't done anything wrong. So with that, I'm going to let Brett go ahead and get started. Thank you so much for listening. 
So there's nothing to be ashamed and embarrassed about. I mean, you didn't cause this. You didn't do anything to deserve this. It just, it happens. And I think that the more people know about it, especially if you're not going through it, the, the easier it's going to be for the women going through it. I mean, I don't think, you know, you get things like if there's a death in the family or cancer or things that people know are devastating, right? It's a lot more, I don't want to say common, but you see it and you're dealing with it. Uh, this, I don't know, it's, it's not going to kill you. It's not something that a lot of people know about. So I don't think people really understand how devastating it can be. They don't understand. I think part of why they don't understand is because unless you've experienced it, we all know that we're going to experience deaths of people we love. Like that's just a part of life. We know that. But going through infertility is in a class of its own. If it doesn't get talked about. And I think there's a lot of shame for women, especially. I know in your book, you talk about how your husband's sperm was perfect. And, and the doctor was like, oh, it's great. Like, it's fabulous. And you're just sitting there like, what, what the fuck? And so I think that that's a big part of why people don't talk about it. There's, there's a shame for women in not being able to give your husband that baby, not being able to give your parents that grandchild, not like, why is my body not working? So all of that kind of stuff. So I do think that that's a huge part of why we don't talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I talked to a lot of women who opened up to me about their stories and they said, all right, but don't tell my husband I told you or don't tell anyone else. My husband doesn't like us talking about it. And sometimes it's hard to remember that they're going through it also because it is so physically and emotionally draining for the female. But I think women are quicker to open up when they can, not to generalize. But I know with my husband, even with the book, he had a lot of, he had a hard time with me throwing this out there. And you know, I had to tell him, listen, this story isn't about you or me. We're white noise in it. I want women to read this and take out of it what they need to take out of it. And I've had women that are going through this right now saying, I'm literally going from chapter to chapter with you as I'm going through my journey and it's helping me. And I also have people saying, my sister-in-law is going through this. I'm going to send this to her. And um, now I know how to react. Um, very close to mine was, got pregnant really easily. And she says, it's giving me a different appreciation even for being a mom. And it's all these beautiful things that are coming out of it, which is great. It's just people are talking. That's, that's the biggest gift that this book has given, in my opinion. I agree. People are talking. I love that. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I noticed in your book is you use a lot of humor. And I can tell that you're just somebody who that's just the way that you live your life. You, you use a lot of humor. When you were actually going through it, did you see the humor in it or did you, was, is it sort of a hindsight thing? That's a great question. When I started it, I'm a very positive person. When I started it, started my IVF, I, I wanted to be the girl that was positive, that I was going to be, you know, funny and we were going to take pictures of the shots and <laughs> it was great. It was actually like, I, I was proud of myself. As we got deeper in, it wasn't funny anymore. And it was really hard and it was really dark. And I think that once I was able to, during that real darkness, I think I stopped writing for a while. I added to an outline and do little journaling here and there, but it's hard. And I think that sometimes you have to step away from it to see some of the humor in it. There's always those moments where you're so sad that all of a sudden you, you have to laugh. And that happened a few times with my husband and I, but it's hard. I mean, it knocked me down pretty hard. And the one thing that I keep hearing from the same thing over and over from women is it almost broke me. I feel like it's breaking me, all these things. But you never hear it, it broke me to a point where I didn't heal. And you know, that's a really important message is that at the end of this, you're going to learn things about yourself that you never knew were possible. You're going to see an inner strength. You're going to 
possibly say to yourself as I did, wow, maybe this was a blessing that this happened to me and this gave me this level of human awareness and appreciation and perspective. I mean, it's a battle. I'm not going to pretend that it's not, but I think it's, it's an important, important message. You know, one of the things that you just made me think of is my, my infertility struggle was a little bit different. I, I, I went through recurrent miscarriages after I already had kids. So it was a secondary infertility and it was so I, I always look at myself and people tell me not to do this, but I always look at that and say, it's not as bad as what a lot of other people have gone through. But in another experience that I've had in my life that was the darkest, most difficult experience for me, somebody told me there's a light at the end of the tunnel when I was like deep, deep in the depths of it. And I was almost angry when they said that to me, because it was like, you don't understand. You have no idea what this really feels like, what's really going on here. And now that I'm coming to the other side of it, I am grateful because it planted that seed. I was mad at the time, but it did plant that seed and I've never forgotten that moment. And I think that that is helping to see more of a light now. Does that kind of resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of the hardest messages to hear from people are, it will be fine. It only takes one. You'll get, and you're like, well, you don't know that. You don't know I'm going to be fine. You don't know that there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. When you're in it, you're just, you're so consumed by these, this roller coaster and these failures and these downs and downs and downs and a little up and then a down and then, you know, and it's hard to see the light and you're almost like, well, you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. But I agree with you. I think that those things they do resonate somewhere in you and it keeps you fighting. It really does, especially, and this is why I think it's so important if you've gone through it to open up your story to other women, because when I spoke to, while I was going through it, when I was speaking to women that have been through it, it's so much more confirming what they're saying. Like it makes me feel so much better, almost like they've earned the right to say it, you know? Yeah. Um, that's why it's important to really open up, but that's a great point. I mean, it's like, okay, I'm going to fight for that light, you know? Yeah, yeah. I used to say to myself, am I ever going to be myself again? I mean, I literally thought I had lost myself forever. And hearing other people say I felt the same way, and I would see, all right, well, she has a normal life, and she went through it. I could do that too. Yeah, it's very validating, and it's very, yeah. it, I think it helps you push forward, keep going. So will you tell me the story about the title, The Underwear in My Shoe? Yes. <laughs> the title came to me pretty early on. There are two reasons for the title. One, when you're going through IVF, you're going through doctor's appointments multiple times a week. And I was about halfway through everything. And I would take off my pants and take off my underwear, throw it in my shoe as I was coming from work or on my way to a client dinner or all these different times, different seasons. And I would just constantly be staring at my underwear and my shoe. And it became just like this movie reel of what was going on. Cause I would just sit there and think and be fixated on my underwear and my shoe. So that's where it came from. But then I also wanted to touch on the fact that though you're going through this huge life-changing thing and this huge emotional roller coaster of having a child, you still don't lose those innate feelings of being a woman, wanting to wear sexy underwear, wanting to feel good about yourself. And, and I think that that's important too. That was an important message. I know that I keep going back to that in the book where you end up in your ugly pair of underwear or you, you're just holding on to whatever womanly qualities you have left in yourself, you know? And so that's basically where the, the title came from, the, a combo of those two things. I love that. That's so great. Have you ever read Women Who Run With the Wolves? No. That's a fantastic book. I recommend every woman on the planet. Okay. But she talks about how being 
feminine and being a woman and how it's important to let loose and get down and dirty and not worry about the sweat and the nastiness or whatever of life. But then she talks about how there's nothing more feminine than putting on your makeup, doing your hair, wearing the sexy underwear, putting on the sexy bra, all of those little things that, that make us women. And that's what you just made me think of as you were telling that story. So thank you. Right. That was great. So are you still running the printing company or are you full-time writing? I am still running the printing company. This was really, it was a side project. It's been going phenomenal and I, I love all the messages I'm trying to keep up. I'm also sort of on maternity leave. So I, not to give away any of the ending, but so it's been a good time for me to really concentrate on the book and all of that. But uh, yeah, I'm still in the printing company. How is launching a book going through COVID? You know, there's parts of it that are great and parts of it that are hard. It's a lot of work at the end, which I didn't realize. Sometimes writing the book, I think, is the easiest part. So I actually had a lot more downtime than I would have if I was going into the office every day. So that was helpful. A few marketing things that were sad, like we didn't get to have the big launch party and the big marketing events and the signings and all that, which I, I contemplated waiting on. But I didn't want to wait. I wanted to get this story. I was very anxious to get it out to people that needed it. And then people are home. So maybe they'll need a book. Maybe, you know, I think it's a really hard time to be going through IVF. I mean, I can't imagine being home and stuck and, and then having to know, am I going to get canceled because of COVID or all this stuff? And time is so important and timing of all these appointments and your shots and everything. I mean, it's got to be really stressful. So maybe it's a great time for people to sit down and read something like this. I, I completely agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. And they did shut everything down for a while at the very beginning of COVID. They shut all the clinics down. So it's wonderful that they're all open. They've been able to open back up again. Yeah. So, so as you were writing the book or as you go back and think about what you wrote, what is your favorite piece of the book? My favorite piece of the book. I mean, my favorite part is towards the end. I think the beginning and the middle is really my journey, right? And it's going through the darkness and going through the ups and downs. And I'm learning about the process of you, as you guys are reading it and learning it. I mean, I really learned it as I went. There was no handbook and there was no, I didn't know what to expect. But I think towards the end, I, there's, there's an inspiration there and there's a hope. And I think that I was able to take a step back and, and, incorporate other women and other stories and other inspirations. And I think that that's the key to all of this. You have your own story, but I always tell people, you can't be afraid to change your ending. Sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around and your heart around changing what you, how you thought you were going to have a baby. But if you want to be a mother, you will be a mother. Hook or crook. There's so many options. And I hated when people told me that, so I'm not telling you that, but I'm just saying it does come full circle. It really does. And I think that's what happens in the book. And I think my favorite parts were dealing with towards the end of some of those, even after I got pregnant, I had a hard time separating myself from the grief of not being pregnant. And it was a hard time for me to just all of a sudden flip a switch and be excited. And I'm sure that's a lot of people's experiences and I just want them to get there in the book as well. A lot of women, when they've experienced IVF in the way that you have and infertility in the way that you have, have a lot of anxiety once they do get pregnant as far as maintaining the pregnancy and things like that. Was that something that you struggled with too? Yeah. I mean, I, there was two parts to it. One, obviously you're nervous. I had never gotten pregnant at all. So I 
didn't know if I was about to start a whole new journey in trouble. So I was nervous, but more so than the nerves for me was just, I was so connected to the grief that I couldn't shake it. I couldn't just, I felt like I was almost like guilty moving on. And it wasn't until one day I was completely cleaning my house and I came across all the needles and all the extra medications and I just collapsed to the floor and started crying. And I think it was the first time I had cried since I had known I was pregnant. And I think it was just a release of all those emotions from the past few years of just everything that I had gone through. And I had to forgive myself for moving on and to say, it's all right to complain about being sick from pregnancy or feeling fat or being crabby. There was a lot that I was like, oh, I don't have the right to complain because I wanted this. And I struggled for this. And but it's all a process. I mean, it's crazy how many different processes there are in this whole thing. It really is a roller coaster, you know? Yeah. But you know, we talk about how when you lose somebody and you, you go through grief in that sense, you do sort of have that, that feeling of uh, guilt or shame when you feel that, that joy for the first time again after you lose somebody. And that kind of resonates with what, you're just, what you just said, with accepting that and moving on. So I think that's beautiful. You talk about how you felt very isolated. And I think that that's such a common theme for women who are going through this. It's hard to speak to the men's side. I always, I hate always saying women because I understand that the men are going through it too, but it's really hard for me as a woman to speak to their side. I'm not sure exactly what they're going through. So we need to get some more men on here, interviewed on here, and that's in the works. But if you would just speak about the isolation piece and what that was like for you and how you can help other people women out there who are struggling feel a little bit of hope and a little bit more connection. Yeah, it's funny. The more people I talk to, isolate, isolated is one of the first words that people say. And I think that's because with any other problem, you, you vent to people and you get feedback back and it feels good and it brings you up. IVF is something where the more you reach out to people, the hearing their responses and hearing their dismissive nature and things like that, it kind of sets you back into this hole more and more. And then the deeper you get, the more into this hole you feel and you feel like everyone else around you is moving on and you're just stuck. You're seeing this puddle, right? You're seeing the women on Facebook having kids and pictures and barns and all these, you know, things. And I know that, you know, when you're going through it, you're just aware. It feels like everyone around you is pregnant. I know I had three sister-in-laws who were pregnant while I was going through my struggle. And people just don't want to keep hearing your story. That's what I felt like. I felt very isolated and I felt like it was just a depressing thing and I didn't know where to find comfort. And it just got me deeper and deeper into the hole. And the further you get in it, the worse it becomes. I think what really, and I can't stress this enough, and I wish I would have taken this advice myself, you got to talk about it. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Talk about it with your husband or your partner. Even if you're not connecting on it, get it out. Talk to a therapist, talk to your friends and family. You have nothing to be ashamed of. And that is what's gonna help you feel less isolated. And I know it's hard and it's frustrating. And most of the time people aren't gonna say what you want them to say, but you gotta get the gook out. And I think that's a really important part. Yeah, I so agree. I'm a huge fan of therapists. If you find a good one, you got to find a good therapist, but they can be a godsend if you find the right one. So. Yeah, I had a therapist that had gone through IVF. Her one child was through IVF. Her second child was an egg donor. So just hearing what she had to say, and I mean, she teared up with me and there was something about her understanding my guilt or grief and her being so close to her own grief 
made me realize like you, this never really leaves you, you know? And I think it's so important to talk to other women going through it because it really does give you strength. You know, you feel like you're the only person on earth. And that, that was one of the reasons for this book. You know, it's not telling you anything maybe you wouldn't know, but just for you to know that I felt that way too. I went to the baby shower and felt like an asshole with, you know, everyone thinking I'm pregnant because I'm not drinking because I'm in cycle or feeling bloated or feeling, you know, all these things that we've all been through. We do share these emotions and you're so not alone. I mean, the dedication to my book is to the women out there going through it. You're not alone because we're all going through those feelings and I'm not discounting what you're feeling as just the norm. It sucks and it's hard, but you're not alone. Thank you for that. I I think that's just the key piece, really, I think for women in our society right now, just to be reminded no matter what it is that you're going through, especially something as intense as infertility, you're not alone. You are not alone. We all have our thing, right? I mean, whether it's depression or an eating disorder or anything, even if you're a kid in school with a learning disability, you know, things that like you didn't choose to do, you know, it's just one of these things that is happening and it's very isolating and it doesn't need to be. There is such strength in being vulnerable. And I remember when I was talking with my husband of getting this out, he was like, well, do you want people to view you like this? You know, do you want them in there? And I said, if we're not vulnerable and raw and honest, it's not gonna be authentic. I'm not out here to say, oh, look how great this person is and lie and say what our experience wasn't. This is about the beauty and the in the rawness, the beauty and the vulnerability. And I don't think there's anything sexier than a woman out there telling her story in order to help other women. It's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, when you say, when you see it, even if you see, um, I, what was the singer that just came out that she had real depression issues. And I'm saying to myself, she doesn't look weak. She looks so brave by doing this. And how many little girls are sitting at home going through these feelings and they're justified when someone speaks out. Yeah, absolutely. It gives a voice. It gives it voice. It gives it validation, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And one of the other emotions that I felt when I was reading your book was empowerment. Like that was, and that was really cool for me because it's like, I feel empowered just reading your story through your eyes. It was really amazing. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. And I was hoping that everyone would take out of it what they can. I mean, IVF's a hard thing because you have certain women that feel guilty that they didn't have a hard enough journey. And then you have other women that I'm afraid that I'm, they're going to say, you wrote a book. My journey was 10 times harder, right. but it's not about that. It's just about the emotions we share. And all I can do is share what my story was. Yeah. Your story is your story. One of my favorite quotes from your book was you said, I've Googled orangutans having sex, but never thought to Google fertility. That one just made me bust out <laughs> laughing. I was like in an office space and I started laughing out loud and everybody was looking at me. Well, it's unbelievable what we, like, I'll Google the most crazy things. And I never, even at 38 years old, try and have a baby. I never Googled infertility or freezing my eggs or all of these things that there were a few things that I wish I knew. Like I didn't know at 35, you're just by the science of it, on average, only 50% of your eggs are viable eggs. I didn't know that. And I didn't know it got worse as you got older and older. And that's what makes it harder when you, you get older. It's not that you can't have kids. It's just, you got to get to the good eggs. And for the most part, and I'm talking generalization, there's plenty of other issues that happen, but these are all things that I'm like, why didn't they tell me in health class? You know, I went to an old girls high school. Why didn't they tell me this stuff? And I think the knowledge is power. I mean, even, even with freezing your eggs, I mean, I wish someone told me at 30 years old, this was an option or, and I'm hoping that this 
book will give voice to a lot of those, get people talking, just the start. I mean, everyone has a story and hopefully everyone shares. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually get more and more phone calls lately over, I'd say the past year, I get more and more phone calls from both men and women saying, how do I freeze my stuff? Because I don't, I'm not ready to have kids right now, but I think I want to have kids maybe in 10, 15 years. So how do I freeze it? And it's been a fascinating shift for me to watch and start getting those phone calls. And like I said, it's men and women. It's not just women. So in fact, it's, I think it's more men that I get those phone calls from. It is fascinating. And it, that's great. I mean, that's a great way, you know, and now more and more insurance companies are covering that, which I think is so smart. And it's hard because when you probably should freeze your eggs or in your 20s, and that's the last thing on your mind if you're not right. married, but hopefully it will become the norm and hopefully you'll never need them. But if you do, it would be really helpful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Brett, for coming on and talking about your book. This book, I, everybody needs to read it because you, you will laugh, you will cry, you will feel empowered. It's just, it's an incredible book. So, but before we sign off, do you have any final words of wisdom, nuggets of knowledge, anything that you want to leave our listeners with? The only thing I just want to emphasize, and this is really to the women out there going through it, and the sooner you realize this, the better, it is not your fault. It is not your fault. It's not your fault. And don't, there's enough you're going through to hold that guilt. And I remember when I um, went to my doctor at RMA, Dr. Scott, he was a new doctor. I'd already gone through a few rounds somewhere else and he was giving me his entrance speech and he said, do you have any other questions? And I started bleeding off all these questions. Oh, well, should I do acupuncture? Should I exercise? Should I drink less gluten? Blah, blah, blah. And he just grabbed my arm from across the table and said, Brett, this is not your fault. And I lost it in there. I, lo I, I lose it thinking about that moment because it was the first time I was justified in thinking, okay, this is, this is not my fault. And I think you have to eliminate that guilt from the equation because it's, it's not helpful and it, you, know, you don't deserve it. So that's my final word. I love it. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for joining us in this podcast episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, share, come give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it, and leave us messages about who you would like us to interview next.